So we are beginning a new series of messages. We're going to be talking for the next couple of weeks about uh, discipleship. And uh, if you've been here any length of time, you know that I like to to talk in terms of um, in terms of series of messages, not just a single message. And there's there's some reasons for that. It it, it enables me to kind of pace myself and spread out what it is I want to say across a number of weeks so I don't try to jam it all into one week because, trust me, I've done that and it's, it's more fun this way um, when you try to kind of get one thought per, per message instead of 14. So it also makes them a little shorter, a little. Um, and it, it also helps you to kind of orient yourselves because we can't always be here every week. And so if you miss something, it gives you a better feeling for what it was you missed, how important it is in the overall context and then you can go and fill that in however you want. You can go listen online or whatever. So I do talk about uh, things in terms of messages. And what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks is discipleship. And the reason for that is because uh, last week was Easter. And what we heard on Easter was the angel told the women, he, he said, he said, he, Jesus, is not here. He has been raised and he has gone ahead of you to Galilee. And there you will see him as he told you. And, uh, Unfortunately, Mark ends there. So to find out what happened next, we have to go to Matthew. But if we go to Matthew's gospel, we find at the very end of Matthew's gospel, he tells us what happened when they met Jesus in Galilee. And uh, we heard it early at the beginning of the service. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples." of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. Some of you know this. Some of you grew up in church and you learned this. Maybe you memorized it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. So so many of you uh, remember this. It's the Great Commission. It's what Jesus tells the church to do. Jesus d- does not tell the church, hey, um, I have risen. Here I am. He doesn't say, I want you to start praying really seriously like you mean it. He doesn't say, I want you to start going to church every Sunday. Jesus doesn't tell the church to do a bunch of stuff. What he tells the church to do is to go and make disciples and baptize and teach. So that's what we're going to be talking about because it raises the question, well, what is discipleship? What, how do I make disciples? Am I a disciple? How do I make somebody else into a disciple? So that's what we're going to be looking at for the next couple of weeks is what does Jesus mean when he tells the church to go and make disciples. So we're going to be looking at that. And um, for us today, as I mentioned to the children, disciple is kind of a, a negative word because it's so close to discipline and discipline is unpleasant. But what the word actually means is to study. Sometimes you'll hear somebody talk about it that way. They'll say, they'll say, um, my major field was such and such and I had a minor in a different discipline or somebody else. They'll talk about it in those terms. So we, we know vaguely that that to be a dis- that discipline has something to do with studies. But for most of us, when we think about a study, when we think about um, a discipline, when we think about what it is we might study, we think in terms of like a classroom situation. So we might think about college or high school or something like that. We think about something like this, a room full of people sitting around, maybe a few smarty pants with their hands up, but the rest of us, the rest of us kind of sitting there with our eyes glazed over, taking notes or falling asleep and hoping somebody else will give us the notes later. So for most of us, that's what we think of when we hear about studying, when we hear about, uh, when we hear about a discipline. But that's not the picture in the Bible. In the Bible, the picture is much more of a, of a, a one-on-one, face-to-face, back-and-forth, interactive experience. Um, it's kind of an experience of a master and an apprentice 
or a rabbi and 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 his his disciples, a guru, maybe a sensei, maybe if if you're of my age, maybe you think of a Miyagi and a Karate Kid. That's kind of the picture in the Bible. Somebody who who is teaching somebody in a very interactive back and forth way. So that's what a disciple is. And the way you, you, you become a disciple is, first of all, and this is paramount, you cannot become a disciple without this. This is the most important thing of all. To become a disciple, you have to have a problem. So if you don't have a problem, you can't be a disciple. That's like, that, that's, that's square one. So if you don't have any problems, then you can't be. In the case of Miyagi and the Karate Kid, he wanted to learn how to do karate or whatever. But the idea is you've got a problem, and you look around and you see somebody who doesn't have that problem. Somebody who, at least in that area, has their act together. Somebody who knows what they're doing, who some, somehow you say, if I knew what that person knew there, I wouldn't have this problem. So whatever your problem is, in our story today, we're going to read in the Bible a story about a man who has a health problem. But um, it could be a different sort of problem. Now, in the story, the man does not have a job problem. He's got a great situation at, uh, on the job. Uh, his boss loves him, and, and that works out well for him. But he's got a health problem. So maybe, maybe if you want to have a discipleship relation with somebody, maybe what you need is a health problem. Uh, because you can look around and you can see somebody who has that problem, but it doesn't bug them. Or maybe somebody who's conquered that particular health challenge. So, so whatever that looks like in the area of health. But maybe it is a job problem. Maybe the problem you've got is a job problem. And you're looking for uh, somebody who can disciple you. Somebody who can make you their apprentice in the area of job situations. Or, or maybe relationships. Maybe how could I have a better relationship? I, I have bad relationships. I want to have better ones. There's somebody over there who seems to have their act together. Somebody who knows more about relationships than I do, I want to study them. I want to learn from them about how to have better relationships. Maybe it's a particular relationship. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it's being parented. Maybe it's how can I get along with my parents? How can I get along with with, um, my children? How can I get along with my husband or my wife? So to be a disciple, first and foremost, you have to have a problem. That's that's the, the very first thing. And if, you, if you're saying to yourself, well, Jesus told me I should make disciples, I'm not even sure if I am a disciple because I don't have any problems. There's no problems in my life. I've, I've kind of searched my mind and there's just nothing. I don't even have first world problems. I read a story about a guy who came to faith in Christ because he was an author and he wrote a best-selling book. And after a while, he decided that nobody is that lucky. He just decided he had, been, he had prospered so much that he couldn't believe it was just random fate that had caused that to happen. Because time after time, as he looked at his life, he saw places where he had just been blessed in a way that he couldn't understand. And that's what ultimately got him started. He had a first world problem. He had no problems. But that problem made him wonder, what is it that's going on in my life? So if you don't have any kind of problem at all, and nobody you know has a problem, then your problem is to widen your circle until you do, because trust me, there are people who have problems. So the first step is to say, I have a problem, and then to say, now I need to find myself uh, somebody I can learn from who can be my master. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a story from the Old Testament. It's, it's, not, quite, it's not quite discipleship. Um, 
the way that the New Testament speaks of discipleship, it's not quite baptism, although there's some washing and water and so forth. Not the way the New Testament understands it, but it's close enough in both areas that I think it will help us kind of frame our discussion over the next couple of weeks, what it is we want to talk about in the area of discipleship and in the area of baptism. So um, we're going to be reading from from uh, fifth chapter of Second Kings. If you remember on... Um, Palm Sunday, we read from the ninth chapter of 2 Kings. Uh, this is just a great section of scripture. It's one of my favorite areas, and I love this story. And um, I was surprised when I went and looked. I haven't preached on it since I was in seminary. In eight years as a pastor, um, almost nine years, I have not preached on this passage. So um, I don't know what went on, because I could preach on this every, every year. So maybe I'll start. Um, so get ready next time this year. So... Um, so Naaman, Naaman, uh, we're going to hear about Naaman, and it, it, it makes me happy to know that Jesus also likes this story. There's a question or a couple of questions in the in the uh, program, and if you if you want to see what Jesus had to say about Naaman, you can you can follow up there. So so I like the story, and so does Jesus. So there we go. So Naaman, what is what is the story of Naaman? Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram is Syria, we would say today. It's north of Israel. It's got some coastline. It's also inland. So it's roughly equivalent with today's country of Syria. Um, he's a great man in high favor with his master because he's a general who wins. And uh, that's, what gen- that's what kings like in their generals. So he wins. And it says, by him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. So the Lord of Israel had let Aram win sometimes. But he's got a problem. Now, he doesn't have a problem on the job. His boss likes him. He doesn't have a problem at home because he periodically brings things to his wife. Um, in, in the story, we read how he brought a slave girl to his wife because Aram and Israel are, are in this uh, uneasy relationship. They're not quite at war. They're not quite at peace. And periodically, there's these border raids. And he has, he has raided into Israel, and he's captured people. And one of them, this slave girl, he brings home. So he gives her to his wife, and uh, you know that's kind of icky for us, but it was a nice thing for him to do in that culture. So um, he did suffer, though, from leprosy. And uh, one day he's at home, and the slave girl is washing dishes or whatever, and she says to uh, her mistress, if only my lord, if only Naaman, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, that, there's a great, you know, we could, we could explore that. Who has a heart that big? This guy kidnapped her from her family, brought her to a strange country, and put her to work there. And she's saying, oh, but he's suffering. So good for her. Um, I don't know if I've got that kind of uh, a heart, but she's got a big heart. And so she says he could find some help. And Naaman eventually comes around. We don't know how long it took, but eventually he decides maybe he's just plain desperate. And he will take help from wherever he hears it. He hears that there's this uh, prophet in Israel. So he goes to the king and says, I'd like to go to Israel and get help from this prophet. The king says, no problem. I'll write you a letter. This might actually help uh, kind of uh, ease the tension between our two countries. If they do us a favor, we can do them a favor. So he sends them about $2 million worth of bullion. Uh, it says, uh, it says uh, what, uh, 10 talents of silver. That's 750 pounds of silver. Uh, I checked because this is the kind of thing I do. It's about a quarter million dollars worth of silver and, um, and uh, 6,000 shekels of gold. That's 150 pounds of gold. So about $2 million uh, uh, today. And then, I love this, 10 sets of garments. So if you're going to mention 10, 10 pairs of clothes along with $2 million worth of gold, those must have been some really impressive clothes, right? So, so some very fine threads. 
So um, he sends this whole collection with him, along with this letter that says, um, when this letter reaches you, know that I've sent you my servant Nabum, so you can cure him of his leprosy. But when the king of Israel gets this, he does not respond, oh good, this is a chance to make the other guy happy. Instead he says, he says, oh I'm in trouble, I'm not God, I can't cure leprosy. So he tears his clothes, but Elisha, the man of God, the one we heard about a couple of weeks ago, he, he finds out that the king had torn his clothes, this dramatic gesture, oh, you know, my life is so hard, um, I can't do anything, I'm going to rip my clothes. So, um, so he sends a message, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman comes. Naaman comes with his chariots and his horses, and Elisha doesn't see him. Elisha sends a little note out to the door, and it says, go wash in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. And Naaman is furious. You can imagine partly he's furious because I'm a big guy, right? I'm, I'm a general. The king loves me. I came here with $2 million. Um, who are you to turn me away? You're some little little uh, prophet. What do you know? You know, First of all, he's just, he's just upset because he's been dissed. But I think more than that, he's angry because he had gotten his hopes up. He had let that slave girl back home tell him there was hope here and he came all this distance and he, he, he's going to look silly in front of his boss when he goes back and there was no hope. He's crushed. He says, you know, I have been all over Aram. I've been all over Aram. I've been to every magician and sorcerer in all of Aram and nobody could help me. But at least they pretended. They made a show of it. This guy won't even make a show of it. So he's furious because he had let himself hope and now He's being sent away without even getting a show for his money. So he's walking away angry. But his servants tell him, tell him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said he was wash and be clean? Father, can you take yes for an answer? That's really the question that, that the, the servants ask him. It's... He's, he's going to do this. Are you going to try? At least try before you, before you pack it in, before you give up. Are you willing to at least give this a try? And Naaman thinks, you know, it's about a two-week journey back home. All right, before I, get, before I leave Israel, I might as well try that. So he goes down. He washes himself seven times in the Jordan River. According to the word of the man of God, his flesh is restored, and he was clean. So his leprosy is cured. He goes back to, to Elisha. He says, I have learned something. I, I have learned there is only one God in all the earth. And I'm going to become an adherent of that religion. I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back to Aram. And because I'm a high official in the government, I'm going to have to be involved in some, some religious rituals there. But I want you to know now that I, I realize they don't mean anything. They're just idolatrous nonsense. And that's fine. I'm not going to believe any of it. I have changed my allegiance. I have become an adherent of your religion. And Elisha says, go in peace. So he does. So it's a great story, and I encourage you to read it, and then all kinds of stuff. There's a greedy minister who wants a big, who wants a big uh, offering and so forth, so see what happens to him. Um, but, but this is the piece of the story we've got. We've got a story about a man who had a need, and he went looking for help. And he found Elisha, or at least Elisha. He found a note from Elisha. And, I, you know, what does this teach us about discipleship? What does this teach us about baptism? Well, first of all, first and foremost, it teaches us there is nothing magic about the River Jordan. You know, sometimes tourists, Christian tourists, go to Israel, and they kind of are overcome by the, the moment, and they say, oh, 
even though I was baptized before, I'm going to get baptized again because this is the Jordan River. This is the river Jesus was baptized in. So they think there's something special about the river. But what we learn here is there isn't anything special about the river. There, there are better rivers in Damascus. The Abana River and the Farpar River are better rivers. That's not the issue. In fact, some night, if you're having trouble sleeping, let me encourage you to read Leviticus 13 and 14 because that tells you the way you're supposed to cure how you're supposed to cure leprosy. And it has nothing to do with washing yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Nobody else got cured this way, but he did. So there isn't anything magical about the Jordan River. If you've got leprosy, don't, don't, don't expect you're going to be healed by, by uh, bathing in the Jordan River because that's not the approved process. So there isn't anything magical about the Jordan River. So what is the point? Well, unfortunately, we see Elisha is not really a chatty person. You know, there are prophets, they open their mouth, they say, thus says the Lord, and then on and on and on, they talk and talk. Elisha's not one of them. He sends these cryptic little notes around. So we have to look elsewhere for the answer. What is the point of this lesson? What is the point of sending this guy down to the river? Well, I think the answer comes to us from as good an authority as Jesus, where he tells us to go and make disciples and baptize and teach. He tells them in that order. He says, find people with problems, Let them know that there's somebody they can be an apprentice to and then baptize them as the beginning of a faith journey. He says, then teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. So that's what we see here in this lesson. We see what happens is that Naaman begins his, begins, he doesn't conclude, he begins his process by washing. And that's what we believe about baptism. We believe that baptism is a place where we say, I've found something I want to pursue. I want to pursue this study. I want to become a disciple. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to inaugurate that with this outward washing. I'm going to wash off all my old life and I'm going to begin something new. That's the way, you know, we we, we wash up before we go do something important. It's the same idea here. Before we do something important, we wash off what was before. And that's what Naaman does. And it's what Jesus calls us to do as disciples. He says, he says that the baptism is an outward symbol of what's going on in the inside, that you have made a change. Like Naaman, you have decided that I have learned something and I want to learn more. Now, if you're in the church, you may be saying, well, I don't want them coming to me because I can't help them with their health. I can't help them with their marriage or their finances or, or their jobs or all the other things we talked about. And Jesus is okay with that. Jesus doesn't tell us, to teach them anything as disciples. We are not Mr. Miyagi. We are not Elisha. We are certainly not Jesus. He says, teach them to obey what I have commanded you. He says, your role, your role in the church is to be that slave girl, to say, I can't help you, but I know someone who can, and I'd like to introduce you to them. Or to be the other servants who who found the who found Naaman when he was ready to pack it in. When he said, he said, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going to quit. And they said, just try this one thing before before you quit, before you pack it in. I want you to try this one thing. Jesus is inviting those of us in the church to be those people, the other disciples in the picture who can say, before you quit, try this. Or, or you know, I know you've got a problem and I can't help you with it, but I know who can and I'd like to introduce you to them. That's who he calls us to be in the church. And what he calls us as disciples to do is to begin with baptism. So we'll be having some baptisms later in our service today. But this is a picture of what discipleship is like. 
We find somebody who can help us with our problem, and we say, I'm going to begin by being baptized. And then for those of us who already have, to stand around and to encourage them. That's our role today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for baptism. We give thanks that Jesus has called us to be disciples, not to be experts, not to be sinless, but to be disciples, to learn and to grow and to follow him into a better life. And we pray you'd guide us through the church, through the, through the servant girls who can, help, who can help us find Jesus, and through the servants who can encourage us when we're ready to quit. And I pray, Lord, you'd guide each of us to be these kind of people. In Christ's name, amen.